All right, everyone, welcome back. Vlogcast number 22. Saw for Y in the building. We potting today. It is myself, Christian Soto, your humble, gracious host of this pod with my man, Alpha Reg Berkey, in his normal attire, looking like he's ready to go jogging and boxing. And with, soon. Soon. You, you ready to go jogging and boxing soon? Yeah, this week. What are you doing this week? Heading to Big Bear, man. We're going to get after it. You're going to be like, what, what was that guy in the in the Rocky movie that he went like away to a cabin and just fucking Rocky? trained? No, that wasn't Rocky. Rocky nah. was taking. Rocky was like famous and shit. No, nah, it was Rocky. No, it wasn't. Yeah, man. Rocky Ford. It was like he went Ice to Russia. Tea. Ice T. <laughs> what was his name? <laughs> it was Mr. T. Whatever, man. And he wasn't like, and you're conflating Rocky 3 and Rocky 4. Rocky 4, Rocky went to Russia and trained in the snow and shit. Rocky three, he Mi- was like famous, Mr. right? And yeah. Mr. T was like in the cabin, like no, like that <gasps> was Rocky four and Rocky. Rocky three, Mr. T was in like the basement. Mr. T of, was of his in, house. He was in the basement of of everything. He was grinding. Yeah. Do you feel like you're like the Mr. T of, of not poker? Anymore, man. Why not? You you too big? <laughs> no, I just I you're like the Rocky. I don't have it in me, man. I don't put in. I don't put in that kind of volume. I don't put in that kind of. I mean, I put in the effort, I guess, but like. Not to the same degree that I did when I was coming up. So you're like Rocky three. It definitely feels like it sometimes. Hopefully there's a four. <laughs> Rocky four, he rebounds. All right. Well, let's talk about what has been going on this week. There has been two major things going on. World Series Europe as well as Run It Up. Let's talk about Run It Up. All right. Run Why It Up. You go? What? Why don't we go? Well, I was supposed to be... Uh, you know, doing a little bit of potting myself with mm. the Poker Go people. But, they're, you know, they're, their events are getting so big. ESPN wants to cover it. So I got a little bit out of there. I'm not as big as Lon McCarron and Norma Chad. So whatever. They kick me to the fucking curve. <laughs> but uh, I'll be back. They got me for the main event. I'm excited to do that. But that's why I didn't go. Okay. And then I see all the people. They look like they're having fun. There's free pina coladas and shit every fucking day. Run it up. Looks like a really good time. Um. Definitely kind of regret not going, although I don't think I could enjoy it. Why not? I just have too much shit to do. Like, I haven't been able to enjoy pretty much anything this entire year. Just- Stop. <laughs> Yo, you're... That sounds kidding. like the most depressed statement of all time. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of it, though. Like, when you're trying to build something big, like, you know, you got to make some small sacrifices. And I genuinely... Uh, outside of maybe like small spurts throughout the World Series where I still had a little bit of of hope that I was going to rip one off. I don't know that I had like a lot of downtime to just like kick back and... Play the high stakes. Allegedly. Have the bomb women. Allegedly. Allegedly. Have the flyest drinks in your cup. Mm. Got the biggest arms in the game. Are white. <laughs> <laughs> And you still got problems. You got rich man problems. Everybody's you got, got problems. rich white man problems. I, I'm, bro, I am not complaining at yeah. all about my plight in life. I'm going to fucking rip you of all your money sending you to DR. All, all <laughs> I'd live like a king in the DR. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You live like a king now. Look at I'm this fucking palace. That, bro, I'm not saying I'm not. I'm just saying that the best part of running it up is like the collective community and getting to enjoy everybody's. Uh-huh. Yeah. Serves you goddamn right. <laughs> Host down. Host it down. I couldn't take all this bullshit. <laughs> good, you man. have a good time whenever you're not winning? <coughs> you win, man. You're you fucking one of the biggest winners of all time. You have, you have a good time when you're not winning. You have a lot of responsibilities and you're not getting every sh- all your shit done. Nah, of course not. All right. Well, it's, you know, that's where I'm at. We got a lot of fucking deadlines coming up We're in the fourth <laughs> quarter. You know, fourth quarter living. Got a got a lot of end of year stuff, holiday promotional shit all sitting on our plates. And uh, the day in and day out to grind. So let's talk about Run Out of Reno's success. Okay. They have completed nine of them. At that's this crazy. Point. Feels like it just started. This year. This last one that just passed had the most runners for their main event. Yeah. So they broke their record. Their next one will be their 10th in April. Okay. 
so a little bit a while away, but still. So uh, I'm assuming they're doing maybe two a year. So say software Y had like their heads of challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, run it up has run it up Reno. Is this like a thing that's moving now? There's some meetup games associated with some brands. All right, I kind of see like where you're going with this. Um, maybe there is endless incentive for coordination at the top. Hmm. So there is just infinite incentive for, especially out of the way places like Peppermill. Um, you know, if you want to talk about like Thunder Valley, there are a lot of casinos that fit that mold. Uh, Texas card houses, basically a lot of the places that the meetup games are take, currently taking place. There is a lot of incentive for rooms like that to coordinate with people who have a following. And more and more people are garnering a following these days. There are way more Andrew Nemes and Brad Owens than there are Daniel Negranus <coughs> and Phil Helmuths. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the people who are, are basically earning themselves a platform... Um, <laughs> They're doing it through social channels, not through wealth. So when Helmuth and Negranu got huge, they were wealthy. And there was more wealth being thrown at them due to their popularity. Companies were paying them a lot of money for speaking engagements or for appearance fees, whatever the case may be. They were representing or representative of like online brands and all this other stuff. Yeah. That's not the case now, right? A lot of the most popular people in poker are grinding hard. And certainly not making seven figures a year. Hmm. So now there's incentive from both sides to coordinate. Now, Jason and Run It Up are a little bit different. He's a company. Um, He's trying to get his feet wet and, you know, continually branch out and things like that. But he also just represents a lot of value to a place like the Pepper Mill. Correct. So I think that it's possible that we could see more third-party festivals that aren't necessarily tours <clears throat> these meetup games are pretty big are they're becoming pretty large like if you look at maryland live the meetup game was like pretty it's pretty remarkable how many games they get running mm-hmm. and similarly for run it up they don't get that many games when run it up's down in town right so i'm assuming between meetup games and like these kind of alternative tours i guess i would say it's incentivized by certain places like you're saying like thunder valley like if thunder valley wants to hire self for why to build their production you know now that some people are out of the game or even we, like we would be open to it even like <laughs> rivers in pittsburgh it's un, this un, is crazy bro yeah good i'm from there yeah that's my town yeah. i love pittsburgh yeah. to death yeah you run that city i've never been invited to that casino in my life wow they've run endless poker night in america's there I've never once gotten an invite to play. You know, they, I, it's basically like that to me is a prime example. Entities not recognizing where they can get free value. Yeah, for sure. It's like not inviting Jason and Mercier to a Florida thing. Like, right. That would just never happen. There's just a really good relationship between SHRP and Mercier. Right. Exactly. You know, and it was like the same thing when Maryland Live opened. Like the first people they reached out to were Greggy and Charter. Right. It feels like Sacramento is is always going to be JC Tran. JC Tran, like some of those people are are very associated with those cities. So yeah, that that seems like a thing where it's like maybe there should be more. I guess I would say ambassadorship with certain casinos and like they're they're kind of close. I wonder what's stopping Jason. And I, I, I put the ball in his court because I feel like he's the closest to making something like this happen. But I wonder what stops him from organizing like all the vloggers or or effectively just like um managing a vlogging team right so i know that he already has nimi as a part of uh the run it up squad but it seems as if he it seems at least he has nimi brings in the others yeah yeah nimi and brad do a lot of stuff coordinated but what i'm getting at is effectively like imagine that he could say to like brad Nimi, Johnny Vibes, whoever, whoever has a following. Yeah. Basically like, hey, um, this is what we can offer you in exchange for you offering to us like uh, your audience turning up. And effectively what I'm getting at is 
it'd be very easy to take Run It Up Reno on the road mm. to all these meetup places. Yeah. Um, if if you know you were utilizing these vloggers as uh, effectively the catalyst to getting the tour started. Yeah. So imagine you wanted to do Run It Up Maryland Live. That may be difficult to advertise right. and to get the 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 festival as as like hype as it is in Reno. But if you do run it up Maryland Live hosted by Andrew Nimi and Brad Owen, correct. Well, they got 180 people on their wait list for meetup games. I'll never sell out, Jay. Just letting you know. What does that mean? I'll never sell out. You know, if you want to do run it up parks, I'll do it myself, dog. I ain't with you. <laughs> Just saying, I'll never sell out. I'm gonna sell out. You know what I'm saying? Wait, like, wait, ahead. wait. But if you want to, if you want to go to Pittsburgh, it seems like Burke would be right in. Wait, wait. Sure. What, what, uh, what are these Christian Soto made up games lists looking like? Dude, I'm not gonna re- divulge my list. <laughs> like, that's that's the whole point. Like when right, you have right, a right. list, like you don't divulge the list. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about man? leverage, man. Yeah, you gotta keep your leverage. Like this I is what I'm you. talking about, man. Google is gonna come here because of me, our <laughs> leverage. Fuck, I'll never sell out. Only to Google. All right. All right. I do want to talk about. A person that does play the biggest games in the room, in the world. My man, Brent Kenny. We spoke about him a little bit last week, but it seems like the tone has shifted on mm-hmm. what was said. Okay. So, a lot of people said he came off really arrogant. A lot of people he said he came off like he was really filling himself. Also, a lot of people said that there's potentially that he would have been able to pay because he said he had, you know, outstanding so many bets out there that, you know, but a lot of the high rollers did come back to his defense. But I do have this little bit of a gripe as it pertains to how people kind of treated what he was saying. Everybody has a way that they think as it pertains to themselves, their game what they surround themselves with, both emotionally, energy, people, whatever, right? He's expressing that, and he's very successful, right? So the two things I want to touch on are, one, his swag, I guess, whatever. Okay. You know, however you want to like describe it. His personality, his swag, the way he comes off on the microphone when people talk to him. Mm-hmm. And then second, obviously, the confidence... Or arrogance to put up 50% of your net worth into one tournament. Okay. So let's begin with your thoughts on his personality slash confidence slash what people thought about this. I think it's much to do about nothing, to be quite honest. Um, Again, like going back to the whole I don't get it. I just don't understand the tone of the community sometimes. Mm. Bryn's not your out-of-the-box cookie-cutter image of a high-stakes high roller. You can approach it from the micro and arrive at the principles, or you can approach it from a deep level of thoughtfulness and arrive at the same principles and then calibrate the micro. Mm. So he's different in the way he dresses, he's different in the way that he speaks, he's different in the way that he presents his intelligence. But, you know, who cares? Mm-hmm. Why is everybody so surprised now? Like, this is Bryn Kenny for many, many years now, but it seems that. I don't think they're surprised. I think that, I think the overall t- tone was like he wants a pat on the back for being this way. And you're just not going to get it from this community, especially not now when the true heroes of the the high stakes are the ones who do everything insanely calibrated. Right? Oh, is he not a hero? It seems like he should I be. I love Bryn. It seems like he should be the hero. He is the most gangster out of out of all these people guys. People don't want that anymore, though. Right? right? Like, people yeah. want the, the cookie-cutter imagery. I mean, just think about the way that hands are dissected and judged mm. and how certain everybody is based upon like what's right and what's wrong, right? So it's like the second they see something sized differently than they would expect it to be sized or the way that they have learned sizing should take place given the action thus far. Somebody's labeled as bad. Yeah. He's just bad. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's awful, right? And it all takes is a collection of those in a row to just be like, oh, this guy has strategy holes. 
it's really interesting because <clears throat> at least, you know, being friends with people and just, you know, seeing what people say about other people, it's like there is, there are people that think that Bryn's bad. There are people that think that Fox is bad. There are people that think a lot of people are bad. And I know this because I'm friends with Fox and he tells me like, yeah, yeah these, this group, they won't even buy my action. Like, mm-hmm. because like they think I'm bad, like, you know, and it's like, I get it. This is fucking nuts. Like the numbers are the numbers at the end of the day. And it's like, you know, Fox is very successful. Bryn is very successful. Obviously the swings are the swings. Like we're playing nosebleeds, whether you're playing nosebleed cash or you're playing nosebleed tournaments, million dollar swings are going to happen. If you don't, if you're not ready for those swings, then don't sign up, right? Nah, but the the, the problem is, is that uh, the conversation is controlled by a select few, because Bryn is a little out of the box uh, the way he thinks, and because Foxing isn't traditionally um, super sound mechanically, the results get thrown into the pile of variance. But what nobody thinks is that Ike is bad, right? And nobody thinks the jungle is bad. Correct. And nobody thinks that anybody else who is operating through some sort of lens of I've put in the mechanical work that they could ever be bad. Fact of the matter is, if we if we went through and dissected all the plays that everybody makes, like yeah, you would see a higher batting average from Ike and uh, the technically sound realm of of those guys. Mm-hmm. But you would also see a lot of anomalies, like. I don't know for certain. I haven't spent enough time dissecting it. But if you looked at the Germans, I'm certain that you would see some strategic differences from what you would see from like the high high level Americans. Right. And I'm certain you would see some strategic differences there than what you see from like the high stakes cash regs. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like if you took like Makita, True Teller, Ike, Jungle, and you just analyzed every single one of their hands you would certainly see anomalies throughout the course of all of them mm. that didn't align with each other's strategies. But all of that is kind of glossed over because the community has just accepted that they play the standard play better than everybody else. And when guys like Foxen or Bryn or even myself to some degree do things that are non-standard in what are otherwise understood to be relatively standard spots, there's no free pass. There's no leeway. There's no there's no care in the world for any sort of justification or rationality behind it. It's just assumed to be black and white, good versus bad. When did that change, though? Because I feel as if when winners, if we rewind seven years, mm-hmm. when people did things outside the box and won, they were envied. Yep. They were just like, oh, shit, like, duh, like, what the fuck's going on? But he right. just mashes. Yep. Ivy, all these guys were just mashes. And... It's like, okay, like now if you do something different, but you win and you like kind of like have swag, you're lucky. You're just lucky. That's, that's weird though. It's, it's when people felt like they got handed the answer key. So, I mean, you know, we beat on this a lot, but like, look how much white noise there is out there. Mm. You know, if you search solver videos or something to that effect, there's hundreds of hours for free, let Mm. alone like what you can find for paid. The people who are doing true work uh, that are just like really, really grinding, again, are just asking very deep questions to the the solver. And they already have hypotheses that they're trying to arrive at some sort of accuracy level at. So like a guy like Jason Kuhn comes to mind. Mm. This kid's a grinder, man. He just has his nose to the grindstone, but he's also surrounded by like, you know, first wave or first generation um, intellects. For sure. Right. You know, it's like these guys may have had access to the to the information before everybody else. They did the dream machine. Yeah. And it's like they're they're just ahead of the game in understanding the deep principles. What's not accepted are the people who got there naturally. Hmm. And, you know, Jason will be the first one to tell you, like, he doesn't necessarily consider himself a natural talent. Yeah. He he outworks the field. Yeah. And I think you should be proud of that. That's a great thing. There are others, though, like if you look at a Durr or potentially a Bryn or other people who just started as out-of-the-box thinkers, they arrive at a lot of these principles naturally. Yeah, They don't have necessarily the backbone of proof that you get 
by reverse engineering the mechanics, but they have a lot of confidence in what works because they think about every decision strategically. Now, don't get me wrong, they're not gonna be able to implement nearly the accuracy that somebody who's been putting in the hours, or at least they're not gonna be able to evolve quite as quickly, right? Because they're gonna notice trends, they're gonna notice strategic counters that they're able to employ, but they also have to calibrate it in real time. So we kind of mentioned this last week that Bryn was basically saying like, everybody's studying to solve a problem that's gonna exist forever, and I'm just trying to solve the problem that's in front of me right now. Yeah, I think that's profound, and I think it completely sums up why people hate on Bryn, because that doesn't fall in line with the umbrella of game theory. Yeah, but that's kind of sad because poker is this still, right? Poker is still the person in front of you has one strategy. He's not balanced. He's definitely has imbalances all over, mm-hmm. right? And it's your job to approximate where those imbalances fall and then counter. And that's that's what it is, right? right. This, this notion of, I'm playing against a balanced strategies. It's all bullshit. But right? it's really easy whenever you fall into the collection of uh, the computer knows more than anyone else. The The strategy is to try to arrive at Nash in every single spot. You know, the, the whole purpose of studying this game is to create simple equilibrium strategies that are employable in real time, right? Like when you dig in and put yourself on that hill to die on. I do want to change the subject matter and it's a little bit darker, um, but I thought that it was an important thing to touch on. Um, Joe Ingram made a post today mm-hmm. about a Reddit post that he saw and I will read it out loud, um, but I will also post it so that people can see, right? So this post is from the Reddit poker and it is Castle V 55 posted two days ago. I can't believe how delusional I've been these past four years. It took my girlfriend leaving me for me to realize I have a serious gambling problem. I'm going to be professional. What I'm, what I'm losing is just part of the learning cost. I would tell her as I blow through another 500 to add on to 28,000 I've already wasted. The days I'd, the days I'd go without showering and barely eating the days I'd stay home all day and ignore my friends, question mark, just the price I have to pay to get to the next level, playing 16 hours a day, barely sleeping because I want to get back on the computer and play. I sold something I treasured so much two days ago for pennies just so I can have money to deposit. That's not the only thing I've sold just to play poker and I'll never get those things back. Rent's due on the 30th. Phone bill is due on the 27th. Maxed out my credit cards that's behind two months and is going to collections if I don't make a payment due on the 25th. Money I have to play for those things? Zero as of 30 minutes ago when I blew my last dollars trying to hopelessly make it all back yeah i'm a fucking loser and a degenerate and now it's about to knock me out cold it goes on a little bit longer but sure you understand kind yeah, of where we're talking it. about so that brings me to the question of a couple of things one Depression versus sacrifice in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, when is, where's the line? Because obviously this person is struggling as it pertains to their emotional relationship with his girlfriend. Also the stress of constantly trying to make it and sacrificing large sums of money that p- put strain on his financial well-being. And finally reaching a point where he is saying that he is just uh, a loser, you know? Yeah. So what is your overall take on this this post, but as well as the subject matter? It's really funny that this, this came out. Uh, I actually had, I guess, a moment 
akin to this uh, a few days ago. Um, and I didn't know if I wanted to talk about it on the pod or not, but I think it's really relevant. It's a, it's a nice parallel. Obviously, it's nowhere near the level of like despair that this post is. This guy's obviously at the end of his ropes. But, um, you know, post-World Series, I haven't had the chance to play very much poker. I've really been hyper-focused on the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to grow this platform. I want it to be more than just uh, an academy, more than just even a poker training site. Like, I have a pretty big vision for it all. But what I realized, and I kind of let off the pod with this, is that I've kind of diluted myself as um, as far as like being a, a high performer goes. Mm. I, I have such tunnel vision that I've diluted like all of the other characteristics that could potentially make me a good person. Like I was thinking about it, it's weird. I just like woke up with this overwhelming, I guess, like sensation that I've just been like a bad friend, a bad brother, a bad uncle, a bad like social person for the better part of a year because I've been so hyper-focused on this on this goal. And what I realized is like this goal is so long-term that even sacrificing an entire year isn't enough to ensure success. Right. And, you know, I'm the type of person who like, I'm, I'm really into the concept of balance. But in a lot of ways, that balance is the reason why I, I focus on it so much is because I find control there. So even throughout the course of this year, I found myself being super disciplined in other areas, right? I play whenever uh, my number is called. I'm sure to get to the gym five or six times a week. I started sauna. I started doing all these things, right? I created this 200-day fitness challenge and all these other things. But truthfully, they're still just further extensions of a distraction from the fact that I can't remember the last time I gave someone a high five. Yeah. You know, it's like, and it's particularly bad because as a company, we're all really good friends, or at mm-hmm. least we started that way. But now we have damn this, dog. Well, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying. I'm not saying you guys aren't still important to me. I'm just saying, like, I personally know that I've I've not been servicing that role very well mm. for the better part of a year, and that I've been probably too fixated on the the ownership role and mm. the the whatever like. It's a, it's a fine line dancing between friendship and um, asking your friends to get shit done for you. Right. You know what I mean? But I also think that it's one of those things where uh, just more gets done through support than through friction. Okay. And, you know, more so than anybody else, I've probably been super guilty of just like taking my frustrations out on the group as a whole where my expectations are too high and the friendship part gets pushed aside. The whole reason I'm going through this long-winded thing is because I wasn't always that way. It was quite the opposite. For the vast majority of my life, high school through college, and even you know maybe a decade thereafter as I was digging into poker, my little community, not necessarily the community as a whole, but my little personal space, my friends, my family, those I held near and dear to me, took precedence over everything, mm-hmm. right? I and and I think a lot of this probably changed when uh, my grandma passed because she was kind of the glue that like fundamentally held all that together. She was yeah, a big yeah. reason I would go home. Right. She was a big reason I would stay in contact with my high school friends and everything else. So like life gets in the way a lot, and the older you get, the more pressures there are, the more responsibilities, the more you take on, be it through arrogance or just sheer desire and will to achieve certain things. And at some point you just wake up one day and you're alone and you're in over your head. Mm. And I kind of relate a lot with this kid's story because this isn't the first time it's happened, right? Like the same thing happened to me pursuing baseball. I put everything aside. I didn't start dating till I graduated from college because like baseball was it. You know what I mean? I got a degree, but I couldn't even program something basic. Like there are, there are definitely high school kids who could program circles around me all because I put baseball first and foremost. And for this kid or anybody else who's out there struggling with poker, the biggest problem and challenge with undertaking this as a passion and a huge scope goal that you want to achieve is it's extremely expensive, right? Expensive monetarily or or in other ways you're saying? 
monetarily. So of that list of things that you read off that this kid suffered through, right? 16-hour mm-hmm. days, a disconnection from his girlfriend, um, not showering, not taking care of himself. Some of those things are a byproduct of sacrificing for the greater good, right? I'm not, I'm not encouraging necessarily you shutting people out of your life or mm-hmm. you giving up personal hygiene. But what I'm getting at is like when you're on a road to a bigger thing that you know is attainable through sheer will and discipline, it's okay to sacrifice some things for some small period of time, mm-hmm. right? The problem is this game is a game of failure. It has endless negative feedback loops. Right. It creates this hysteria in your mind where you don't know if you are on the verge of a breakthrough or on the verge of a breakdown, right? right. And what really compounds all of this and weighs even more significantly is that the scoreboard is kept through dollars. Most people aren't going to pursue this passion with a nest egg of wealth to begin with. Correct, of course. Most people aren't going to have any level of security. So with each and every loss that they suffer, as they're trying to learn, as they're effectively trying to pay their tuition to graduate to a sustainable life, they're going to constantly run into the brick wall of, I'm on the verge of going broke. Yeah. I don't know if I know what I'm doing, right? And at some point, it's all going to come crumbling down. So maybe this kid has a gambling addiction, or maybe he just didn't have enough reloads in him to actually get to the point of obtaining you know, professional poker as a career. Usually when these situations, like I, I approach these situations and I'm, I'm really, I'm torn because of course, many of us that came in, I came in after Black Friday and the way I did it, I was just like playing poker and I would just be in my classroom and I would just be on my computer and I would just be playing poker or like studying poker and then just somehow getting my work done on the side. And I would play on the ground games and just break night, sleep during the day. I had a job, but I would just put my, my days together and just go to AC and my days off together, go to AC and come back, you know? So sacrifice is there. And then of course, um, as it pertains to women, like they, those things were sacrificed as well because like I was playing for a long period of time. So there's definitely sacrifices that go in the game, but I feel as if there is a some sense of like sorrow that I feel for this, these people. Cause it's like, maybe I just got lucky. Like maybe there's a different version of my career mm-hmm. where all those hands I get sucked out on yep. all those hands, like, a tournament score goes from like there to the shit, you know? And like all these big moments, like I remember big moments where certain hands held or like, you know, big pots where it's like, okay, like cool. Like I have some breathing room. I could shot take this game, whatever. And then I shot take and it wins. It's like things pile on on each other. But what about the version where that doesn't happen? Like, where am I? Like, do I, am I still in this game? Like, you know, and then I always do want to think like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe like you just prevail anyway because people believe in you. So that's what what I was going to say is that really that comes down to what kind of cloth are you cut from, Mm. right? Because if you're willing to sacrifice further and I don't want to, I don't want to demean this kid's situation, but it's a serious situation. No, I understand. But like running up the credit card debt, doing things that are effectively financially irresponsible in order to stay in action because you believe that the next one is the big one, I think is where this all gets lost. Okay. If you're willing to sacrifice by reducing your hours of play and taking on a job mm-hmm. in order to facilitate this dream, if you're willing to, uh, you know, kind of moonlight uh, as some secondary career where you're doing both of these things at the same time, entrepreneurialism is very much the same way, right? right. The biggest choice that most entrepreneurs face is when am I ready to quit my job, mm-hmm. right? Like how much longer can I moonlight with this side project versus actually making a real-time gig? And that's the scary leap of faith that they take. The issue with poker is that most people who get into this game are young enough where they don't have the backup career yet. 
And that's kind of okay because like when you're in your early 20s, you have all the room in the world to fail. But the difference is when you're in the early 20s, you don't have very many reloads. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. So that always leads to the question of like, okay, so 20-year-old, not many reloads. But at the same time, this is a game that if you want to make it, it's like kind of all-encompassing. Or do you disagree with that? I No, I agree. Uh, I, I've mentioned this story a few times, but like Marchese and I were talking about this in the 2016 High Roller. And we were just talking about like a little bit of the survivorship bias of having been in the game like myself at that time, like 15 years and him like 13. And we were just basically saying like, you know, the difference between uh, a Durr and some guy you've never heard of or like a Fedor versus uh, somebody else who's out there with similar starting talent that's playing 50 cent a dollar. The big difference is the ability to reload. Like, you know, Fedor comes from a, a good background, a, a healthy, stable background. And I'm not saying that uh, he even needed to utilize it, but just having that security, mm-hmm. knowing that there's another 1K reload through some methodology, whether it's through family help or, um, you know, a family member throwing you a bone and giving you a job, whatever, right? There's a path. You're going to be fine. Like, you're going to be fine. There's a path to get back in action. And there's also another secondary path that you could potentially go down. Now, Fedor is a, a poor example because he's a really intelligent kid right, of who's capable of a lot. But if we start to veer off of the, the upper echelon of the community and start just looking at the, the dead middle grinders, the ones that have found a way to eke it out for a long period of time, but are very quickly approaching zero. I was lucky enough that like, I was going to be fine if I failed, but mm-hmm. I knew that other people are not going to be fine if they fail, you know? And I think when this, uh, you know, movie doc is released, you know, to be determined, you will see that, yeah. you know, like, Oscar, a really good friend of mine, he's in this situation very similarly. Like he suffers from, you know, depression that he speaks to me about. And he's like, bro, like I'm in this fucking game and like I have a mortgage. I have like a car payment and like I'm playing fucking one, two and two, five. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I understand what this kid's coming from because I see my friends, close friends that are like that. I knew when I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, how it felt to not have a lot of money and want to play and the sacrifices. The last thing though is I don't, I feel weird. Like if this kid was to ask me, Hey, like, do you think I should keep playing? This kid is in the one who made the post. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you think I should keep playing? Can you help me? And I don't know, honestly, if I can say like, yeah, man, you're going to be all right. Like, let's get to work. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. I, I get hit once a week, minimum, with somebody saying like, hey, man, I really want to be a part of the academy. I'm saving up for it. I can't wait to do it, yada, yada, yada. And every single time, my response is don't. Just don't. Mm-hmm. Because do I think the service we provide is valuable? 100%. I think that almost anybody who comes through will take something away that is worth the price of admission. That said, do I think that the ROI on, you know, 25% of your bankroll going into training as opposed to anything else, Mm -hmm. literally anything else is, is high enough to justify it? No, I, I literally reply to anybody who even demonstrates an inkling of financial strain whenever it comes to training as to like, stop looking for a shortcut, do it yourself right? Saving this money and reinvesting in yourself, be it through play or security or hell, even diversifying and going into a commodity or mm. uh, Bitcoin or whatever else yeah. is going to be worth way, way, way more than gaining instruction from somebody who's better at this game than you are. Because at the end of the day, the reason why training sites exist, the reason why the academy exists and everything else is because people are lost, They need direction. They need not necessarily to be spoon fed, but they need to be helped along the path 
so that they can reach self-sufficiency. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to present metrics to them that will allow them to become more efficient and more self-sufficient down the line. Now, not everybody's doing that, but regardless, everybody should be approaching training from that metric, right? If I get a personal trainer, it's not to have a personal trainer for life. Yeah, It's to get educated and, and knowledgeable enough about what alters my body in a certain way, what allows me to be more healthy in the way I move, what allows me to be leaner, what allows me to bulk, what allows me to obtain the goals that I'm looking to attain. And, uh, you know, I feel like anybody who's willing to take a flyer and put up a huge chunk of their role in order to attend an academy or to subscribe to a training site or whatever, they're just looking for the magic pill Mm. and it doesn't exist. Right. So I assume that there are, you know, more than one castle in this situation. Sure. Like there are other people like him. And I don't know. This is the part of poker that scares me. It's the part of poker where it didn't go your way. You don't have backing money. You don't have a bankroll. You're in your 30s. Your girlfriend's full, tired of your shit. You still love this game. Now what? Yeah. I mean, for the first 10 years of the boom, this was the only exit to poker. I didn't know anybody until Alan Barry yeah. that left poker with money, right? Now, more recently, as my generation's matured and hit their 30s and have spent enough time in this game to see that if you stay long enough without maintaining an elite level of calibration, of, of study, of passion, mm-hmm. of whatever, you're going to leave broke mm-hmm. or you're going to find yourself broke, right? Right. So we've seen a lot more people shift and diversify. We've seen the Merciers of the world leave to start a family. We've seen, uh, you know, Bonomo get to the top and then like almost immediately say like, I'm taking a huge step back. We've seen Fedor quote unquote retire right. and move into a lot of other endeavors. Well, this happened even a long time ago. You know, Taylor KB, the, these guys, you know, the card runner guys, like immediately were like, all right, we're done. But they, they were a very special case because they effectively were the first to um, really prioritize training, mm. right? Like they basically created a whole a whole new marketplace that didn't otherwise exist. And that gave them passive wealth that nobody else in the game could find. Yeah. But otherwise, outside of them, everyone else was still chasing, right? It's like, you're either going to hit the high score or you're going to go broke trying. Yeah. And I do have a fear that we're not diligent enough in getting the message out there to people now that if you want to be a professional poker player, it's extremely probable that you are going to either need a secondary career or a secondary source of income in order to do this at any sort of high level. You think that's the case? Cause I don't, I don't see top players doing other things. Top players are sub 1% of the community, right? Sub 1%. Let that sit in. There are fewer than... I would I would estimate that there are fewer than 250 poker players that are making over half a million a year. Yeah. Right? I, I could see that. And that's that's including... Well, maybe, maybe it shouldn't include. But in my head, anyway, as I'm thinking of these estimates, that's including people who are just already rich and playing private games. Yeah, those, if, those, if, those those are harder to count. Right, so yeah. if we exclude them, we're probably looking at like 100, maybe 200. Yeah, half a million is a lot. Right. Half a million is a lot. Right, and you know, that's not to say that you can't do well at that interval below, but the problem is, is as you continually get lesser and lesser and lesser and lesser and approach 100K a year, you're now one downswing away from going broke. Yeah. Yeah, that's the scary part. That's that's definitely the scary part. Well, I don't have any nice topics after this. You know, we could talk about strategy and all no, that. No, this is a real topic. This it, is, no, I really yeah, wanted. Yeah. I really wanted to end on this kind of topic because I felt as if it was real. Like this is, is. this is this is real shit. This is what you know. What poker is like? This is this is real. People go broke, and people go broke trying. People go broke after they succeed. Like it's. 
Yeah, so. and I mean, the, the big thing to juggle is where you fall in in line there, right? It's like, because there are those who think that they're impervious to it because, I don't know, they don't believe that bad things happen to good people, I guess. Mm. And then there are those who feel like, you know, they kind of have imposter syndrome where it's just like, I don't know how I wake up day in and day out and continue to compete at a high level. Like I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop and have my bad run come through. Um, and I, I actually do think that this segues into something very important. Like, you know, you have been a bit of a mentor to, to Chris K. And I think that just as an observer who has worked with both of you, um, he's young and he's on that path. He, you know, it's so hard to make a 21 year old understand that they have more money than like 97% of the world. Uh, before I mentioned I was playing two five on a stake. Uh, I used to, I used to play big before I met them actually. <laughs> I, and then went on an enormous downswing, got dropped and then had to move down. Sulfur Y has torn everything that I know about strategy away and then solidified a foundation and built it back up from nothing. I think without Sulfur Y, I would be broke. For sure. In this game, liquidity is everything. And without it, you're just worth nothing right? Uh, you know, it seems very dismissive to say, but that's the truth. Mm. If you only have $5,000, you ain't worth shit. Mm -hmm. You're going to be playing some low stakes game somewhere. And that fear resonates with him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's something that is ever present. And, you know, my nephew's 20, about to turn 21 and he doesn't play poker, but he has a lot of those same traits where he's in college and he hates it because he's not making money and he feels this pressure to somehow like start his life immediately, be an adult and just like get to a hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, earnings as fast as possible. Right. It's like, you you just don't know as an older person how to tell them to slow down. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know how to tell them to let the world harden them a little bit, you know, because at the end of the day, like when it comes to adversity, they're soft. And you know, like, we're all, we all have that level of woe is me, I guess, in us. And it's a difficult thing to beat out consciously. Like it's something that has to be beaten out by constantly being up against it and making the decision to no longer steer into the I'm the unluckiest person in the world narrative. There is something to the poker thing where it's like once you reach a certain level of money, you can always move down. And if you're good, you're just going to kind of make it back, hopefully. But yeah. that that is that usually holds true. Um, so when I talk to some of my my students, my clients, you know, and they have a certain amount of money and the fear of the 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 probability of going broke. It's like this. the irrational fear. Of yeah. It's broke. like, you're, you're not going to go broke, man. You like, had this. Yeah. I understand. But I'm just saying, I think you could relate. Yeah. But then you, my thing is like, I, I had it, but then I got to a point where I was just like, I, I kind of listened to the Bryn Kenny in my voice. Like, you know, I was just like, yeah, fuck these guys, man. There's no fucking way. These guys are better than me. If I go broke, like I'll just fucking play two, five and one, three, and I'll get it all back. And then I'll shoot again. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's something to that because once you have a certain amount of money, you can always go back to the softer game and make this money back. You're going to hate yourself. You're going to feel embarrassed. Yep. You know, you're going to feel all these things, but it's like, who are you trying to like, are you trying to win or are you trying to like show that you're good? that, that point is the great divide between being soft and being grizzled. Hmm. Right? Like that is the barrier of grit of can I check my pride to make money instead of ego? Yeah. Right? That's hard. And, you know, I've desperately wanted to get away. I told you like just just a few minutes ago that like 
I feel like I haven't been giving my all in all capacities of life. So like booked a trip to Big Bear going Wednesday to Wednesday. Um, Nick's coming, whatever. And I'm going to Jersey to see my girl, man. Fuck this shit. I hear you. Uh, and so I told I need Chris. Some, I need some love, man. You don't give me no love. I'm out of here. <laughs> I told Chris about it because he had been like frustrated. Yeah. And it's just so hard for me, man. It's so hard for me to not just be like, quit being a little bitch. That's the thing. This is the thing. Like people don't understand how you taught me that this, this, they think that, oh yeah, I want to get coached by Berkey. You know, Berkey's so fucking smart. You know, he has a brain (laughs) behind him and you know, he's so fucking smart. You guys don't understand when you get coached by Berkey, you know what you're going to, you know what you're going to know that you fucking suck. You're going (laughs) to, you know that you fucking suck. Your line sucked. You're scared. You should overbet. With a fucking thin value hand, even though he's gonna snap your fucking dick off, and you're not gonna have no money in front of you after that hand. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, you gotta protect your bluffs. You know, that is what happens. Look, so if you can't take that, that that's that's not entirely true. I uh, never, I never, no, no, no. I never thought you sucked, and I was never hard on, I was never hard on you from a talent standpoint. And I feel the same way about Chris. I think he's very talented. No, you never thought I sucked. You just told me I sucked. I didn't. I didn't tell you you sucked. Where I, let, well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> I told you you sucked, but it was in a very specific context that wasn't related to poker. The way I told you you sucked is the same way that I'm gonna kick the shit out of Chris this week in Big Bear. It was mentally like mm. I don't think people understand the mental challenge they sign up for whenever they decide to play this game seriously. Yeah, that's tough. Man. It is is something that you have to be a masochist. You have to be willing to be disciplined in the pain and just embrace it all for what it's worth at a very logical level where you're able to remove yourself from any outcomes, from any emotion, from any impact that this random chance has on your life moving forward. And where I, I really beat it into you and you know where I think Chris needs it beaten into him is that you don't have control the way you think you do. Right. And you're not entitled to shit. Yeah. So like get, the, get this mindset out of your head that I don't want to do X, Y, or Z because the worst case scenario may happen. Yeah. And like when you're talking about these thin value bets and all this other stuff, it's like, you know, yeah, sometimes it was just like, I want to see you do something that's maybe marginal enough to be negative EV. Just do it. Explain explain the the you're under the gun and you you buy in and you just move all in without <laughs> looking at your cards. I, I I don't think that's good anymore. <laughs> well, maybe in some environments. But like yeah, I, I no, mean no, honestly, this was this was real. No, because this is a thing. Um that actually I learned a lot from it's it's a stupid thing, but what that taught me, and just to recount, is I would buy in. I would immediately either post or if I got a free hand, whatever, um, I would be under the gun, max buy in, and just move all in without looking, right? Uh, but what a stake that you could right, very right. It was, comfortably it was, it was two afford. Five. It was a 2.5. Yeah, 2.5, 1.3. Yeah, 2.5, 1.3. Something, something right? you could insanely afford. Of course, but it was $1,000. Um, and of course, I could afford it, yeah. But the point is... What that did teach me at the time, and I thought it was stupid, but what you did say after that was like, okay, is that the dumbest thing you could have done? And I was like, obviously, yes. And it's like, okay, no decision you're going to make after that is going to be as dumb as that. And that one probably worked out. Yeah. So it's like, you're fine. Like, right. And it was also just like, what's the worst thing right. that can happen? Right, right. You're going to lose $1,000 so many times. Right. And you're going to beat the shit out of yourself for the way that it happens. Yeah. And what I was trying to demonstrate is nothing you do from this point forward will ever be greater negative EV than open shoving under the gun blind. Right. Yeah. No, of course. And I think that taught me that it's like, okay, well, why am I so hard on myself on all these micro decisions? Like it's probably pretty close, not as bad as this, and this was just fine. Somebody folded Ace Queen. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. They don't know, man. I was like, he's like, I folded Ace Queen. I'm like, I didn't even know what I had. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that actually, I carried forward to some of my clients after that. Um, just mostly clients that were very like 
stringent you on. You could say scared. Yeah, yeah, scared. They yeah. want they 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 so desperately want control that they want an A plus score every mm. single time they make a decision. People have to understand that that playing poker is not taking a test. Mm. We're not graded on an A through F scale, right? Where you need a 92 plus percent in order to demonstrate the highest result. This is baseball, man. You need the highest batting average. That's true. Right? You That's need to be true. swinging in the 300s, which means that your plays have to work out 30% of the time. Yeah, that's 35% very, That's of very time. true. That's very true. Um, Yeah, man. I It was... Learning from you was very interesting. It was a good experience out of all the coaches that I could have had. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Big Bear. Uh, you know, Nick and I are kind of cut from the same cloth. Which is very strange because we have such different upbringings. Mm. Like most of this comes, like, like most of this was instilled in me through sport. Yeah. For Nick, I just think like he kind of found it a little later in life and just like really relishes uh, people who have that discipline control over your life. Because at the end of the day, we all are seeking control. And that really only happens through this high level of sacrifice that results in you being able to implement um what's best for you in a disciplined manner and with chris it's like i've just spent the last week scaring him mm, you know yeah. it's just like good bro this is gonna be the worst thing you've ever done i think it is gonna be the worst thing you ever did probably i think he's gonna come back and either be like i'm done with poker or like i could i could take it on i could take on all these games well all right so i mean i can tell you like what my plan is because this won't come out until after we're already there but you know effectively it's like people need to be put under stress Period. And yeah. there's really no way to replicate the stress of of poker, right? Like right. you're just not going to be under that sort of like pressure to make good decisions um, the way that you are in game. But what you can replicate is physical stress, right? And I know Chris, he's never he's never hit 80% before. Nah. You know what I mean? Like 80, right. 70. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's just like, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, shooting shots, but it's like, I know what it's like to hit 80% of my max capacity at doing anything. And I want to quit. Yeah, no, no. It's right. It's like we're efficient creatures. We want to be able to do things with ease of implementation. So it's like I'm just I'm looking forward to having him go through a stringent regiment that like Nick and I are willfully doing on our own. Yeah, yeah. No, it's gonna be fun. I think I think you guys are gonna have a great time. Last time I went to uh, Lake Tahoe, I felt uh, pretty scared in some of the moments up there. You're just afraid of wildlife. Yeah, man. You know, in DR, the biggest thing you're going to see is like some fish, maybe a lizard or something. You're not going to see any wildlife. Wait, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the water. But I'm gonna give you water. Why are you being mean? I'm trying, but he keeps blocking me. You want it or not? It sounds okay. Come here. Come here. Come on. Bro, the wildlife literally is just the fucking chicken outside that you killed. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's really the wildlife. Like, it's the fucking chicken that you're about to, the pig outside that you've fucking been feeding oh, them so you man. kill them later. That's really man. what it is. I'm trying to tell you the truth, man. I'll bring you there. <laughs> it's just nice, bro. I mean, you, you want to learn. You really want to be disciplined. You, you know? say this, and then you tell me that there's like a 300 square foot area that I'm allowed to be in. Otherwise, I'm going to get killed or murdered. But you're coming or, with me. It's different. Or kidnapped. It's different. You're coming with me. You go there by yourself, un blanquito como tu. No. <laughs> You know, if you come with me, Dominicano, Patria, you're going to be all right. Okay. With that said, I'm going to find you a nice Dominican lady. Mm. Um, cook you some soup and this shit. Um, all right. With that what, said. Want your soup. What do you want from them? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Well, Google, baby. All right. Well, it has been a really... It has been a great podcast. I think I really enjoyed this one. I'm looking forward to the report back from you and the report back from Chris next week. I'm sure that'll be a talking point when we return. And with that said, 
You know, if you have friends out there that are in the grind, that are out there, you know, suffering through the pain, show them some support. If not, show us some support. Leave a like, leave a comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. With that said, we're out of here. If you know anybody in Google, forward it to us.